0: Welcome to episode 27 of Anatomy of Tone. In this week's podcast, I'm going to talk about vertical pedal boards, as well as the Red Panda Tensor pedal. I was looking on Etsy a couple of weeks ago, just looking around at pedal boards, and I was trying to find these little stands that people mount pedals on for like desktop purposes. And they were just single pedal board holders made from 3D printing. So on there, I noticed that there were people making vertical pedal boards that held multiple pedals, but from wood. I'm not a big fan of Uh, 3D printed products, they just feel cheap to me. The idea of something made by hand from wood is much more appealing. Found Douglas pedal boards seemed really interesting to me. They looked really nice and hand-built. It had a unique quality to them in the sense that they just didn't feel like they were pushed out of an assembly line. And I really liked that. So I reached out to Douglas and asked him a little bit more about his pedal boards and got one to check out and use in my studio and also write about in blogs and in this podcast. I must say, I was really delighted. It's very lightweight, which I really liked. And the finish is more of a a satiny, natural wood finish on it. It's not high gloss, which I also really appreciate. And a couple of things about this particular vertical pedal board that I liked. Douglas Gross is the guy's name who makes these pedal boards in Canada. He had two larger holes in the side that make it accessible to run cables through them which i thought was a nice touch and I saw a couple other manufacturers making vertical pedal boards that didn't have the side holes to run cables through which i think is a nice addition when you're placing this on a desktop in order to have access for manipulating your pedals in real time I didn't realize that there were vertical pedal boards it just didn't occur to me that people were making these which makes perfect sense because a lot of times nowadays we're sitting at a, a computer desk and we're recording and manipulating effects in real time having a traditional flat pedal board doesn't work as well for this it's a lot harder to see what the knobs are labeled as or to even reach in and adjust them and maybe manipulate a couple at the same time. I'm a big fan of tweaking pedals in real time while I'm recording, whether it's guitar or synthesizer, I'm often reaching down and and adjusting some sort of knob so to have access to it in a format that isn't just laying flat on the ground has been a really great help for me. And then for me, I wanted to get the Douglas pedal board, the vertical pedal board, so I can set up my road pedals to have easier access to them within my rack. And so the stock size vertical pedal board that Douglas sells fit right inside of my rack unit, which I have a lot of other, my rack mounted effects and my Apollo and my Purple Audio MC77 compressor, and my patch bays It sits at the bottom of my rack unit and I have now all of my Effectroid pedals mounted, which I can easily tie into if I want to use the PC2A compressor or the tube drive pedal. If I want to use the Delta tram, they're all right there, which is nice. And I can see them so I could reach down and adjust the knobs as I'm playing, as I would a piece of gear in my rack unit if I was going to tweak one of those. So it's actually been a really great assistance to being creative and manipulating sounds in the moment. And I was really surprised and delighted about the affordabilities of these pedal boards. It's not uncommon these days to see somebody charging three, four hundred dollars for a pedal board and just seems a bit steep to me in general, even though I do appreciate high quality products. I've even seen some of them go for five and six hundred dollars. Just feel like that's maybe just pushing it. Far, I feel like even from a professional standard, but Douglas is being a lot more fair with his prices. The vertical pedal board that I have comes in around $84.97, I think roughly $85, which is way less than I would have anticipated it coming in at. And his just regular flat pedal boards as well or horizontal pedal boards also are very reasonably priced. He makes both vertical and horizontal as well as he'll create them in a variety of finishes too. If you want to match the Tolex, or your amp, or you want to get a matching case for him, he can design all that stuff. And I'll definitely be looking at him in the future because it's nice to have a few varieties of sizes of pedal boards for just various types of gigs that you may do. And if you need them to fit in different cases or different bags, it's nice to know that you have a designer that even if you have some specific needs for a board that they can customize design it which I recommend that you reach out to him and talk to him if you want something that is just less than standard than what he's offering on his Etsy webpage which is Douglas Pedal Boards. So if you go to Etsy and just search in Douglas Pedal Boards you'll find a collection of pedal boards that he has built to sell you could just reach out to him and talk to him more and it's interesting I talked to Douglas and he started out just making a pedal board for himself and he has interest in music and in woodworking and he needed a pedal board so he constructed one and a neighbor saw it and was a guitar player and thought it was great. So Douglas considered, oh, I'm going to put one up on Etsy and it sold immediately. So with that sign, he just thought, I'm going to start to make these. And he makes about three to five pedal boards a week. And he's a small business in Ottawa, Canada, just making a nice product without a fancy website. So if you can find him on Etsy, check him out. I think you'll really dig what he has to offer. Keep an eye out on my website, anatomyofguitartone.com. I'm also going to write a blog and it's going to include some pictures of the vertical pedal board from Douglas Pedal Boards, how I received it and how I set it up in my rack and how it looks with the pedals on it. And it's just a really nice pedal board. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave me a rating or a review online. It just helps the algorithm so more people can find this podcast. I teach guitar lessons, bass lessons, drum lessons, music theory, recording and production techniques, as well as composition. If you're interested in any of those areas, go to my website, Anatomyofguitartone.com, and you can find about me page or lessons page that allow you to get in touch with me and learn more about my process of teaching, which I think is a big point to make because it's not just having the information; it's how you relay the information. That I think is super important, and I think it's important to maybe even try a few teachers until you find the right teacher that communicates in a way that makes sense to you. You can go there and find out a little bit more about my philosophy on teaching and feel free to reach out to me if you want to know or learn anything from counterpoint and music harmony to guitar techniques to recording techniques I can assist with all that and I love talking about it and I teach both at the SUNY Purchase University and the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music and I've been a private music teacher for many decades I'm very much into the process of learning as well as sharing learning. I'm always experimenting with my process while I'm writing, meaning opening my mind to different techniques or awareness of the hindrances of environment or technology. I had an interesting conversation with one of my mentors this week, and we were talking about form of compositions. And he made a comment that it's really hard when you're working in digital software, to see the form. Often when people are working in DAWs or they're working in notation software, that they tend to be seeing things like one bar, one measure at a time, as opposed to having a whole overview of where the composition, where your song is at. When you tend to work on paper, you could lay out everything like on a table or at the piano or on the floor and you can see the whole composition it's that visual representation of all the parts and seeing how they're fitting together and being able to jump around with your eyes it's actually really important and i started thinking about that a little bit because i work a lot in dorico i like dorico and i'm not adverse to using software or using luna and pro tools and i'm all into technology but there are times where I think I could relate to its hindrances, and I didn't really consider that with the whole overview perspective of seeing your whole song laid out and having a better, clearer view of what the format or the form of your song is. I just thought of it in the sense of like distractions. Meaning, sometimes I have my computer open and I forgot to put it on Do Not Disturb, and I'm getting Text messages or email notifications or software notifications about updates and any of that can throw you off track when you're in the moment of trying to concentrate. Not to mention if you need to write in, I don't know, Grace Note or something and you don't remember what the key commands are and you spend an amount of time online Googling, looking forums, trying to find a quick way to. Find the key command to execute that one task and then all of a sudden you're not making music anymore You're now your mind is in the world of tech and troubleshooting It just pulls you away from the art aspect of it this week I've been trying to go back to using a cassette tape recorder. I have a Sony cassette tape recorder probably from either between 1972 1975 it's old it's an antique right but I really like working from cassette tape. It's a tabletop cassette recorder. For a couple of reasons, I've been recording my IDs on there because I feel like the time it takes to rewind, it's therapeutic. I think to take a few seconds before you hear what you did again and listen to it rewind. I don't know. It gives me a second to reflect on what I just did. And second of all, I feel like, I don't know, there's something that... They're so meaningless with digital technology. We could just record endless takes and versions of it. and None of them really mean anything. We don't really value them too much. And obviously if you have tape, if the tape's going to run out, and I don't know, there's something about even just using a tape that you're not going to let it roll endlessly because you don't want to sit there and rewind forever to try to find the spot. Some of these limitations I think I find good for creativity I'll record a, a shorter segment of an idea or I'll make sure I have the idea together a little better before I record it and then I sit with pencil and paper and then I transcribe out my idea sitting at my desk after I've played it or with the piano at my side so I could double check some of the ideas and this is what I'm starting to do before I even start putting it into any of the notation softwares or DAWs and it is making a big difference I feel like in the process. I'm using audiation a lot more. Which I think it's something that we sometimes get pushed away from. We're using technology. We let it do the hearing sometimes, and we could just—it's easy to move notes around and try things that we wouldn't naturally hear. But when you're sitting at a piano and composing, you really have to, to hear it and you have to make those changes. And sometimes you'll end up taking more risks than you would if you were you know, just sitting in a DA or something and just uh, trying something out, right? If you, if you're sitting at an instrument and nothing, no technology is helping you, you're just going by your ear. It could lead to some really interesting directions. So I would encourage you to try such a thing. Now I know cassette tape recorders aren't super accessible anymore. You can find them on eBay if you want. I was lucky enough, this one was given to me. Uh, I have been using them for years. That's how I first started, was with a realistic cassette deck. And I would record my ideas on it and play along myself, jam along, learn how to solo over chord progressions using it. Uh, If you can find one, I would recommend trying it. I think it's fantastic. If not, there's some standalone recorders from Zoom that have a little speaker in them that might be a good middle ground between technology and and analog gear and I also recommend using paper, even if you don't know how to write music notation, try to write it out in paper in a way that you can understand what you were playing to be able to recall it and working out in your head, imagining it as much as you can use audiation as much as you can. In this week's pedal chemistry, we're going to check out the Red Panda Tensor pedal. It's a really interesting reverse tape effects pedal and also just pitch shifting, time stretching, has some hold functions and loop functions on it that you can really get creative with and you can move through all the modes seamlessly. just really get experimental and get some very unexpected results with it. You can slow down and speed up, rewind in real time. You can play in reverse with pitch shifting. You can stretch or compress time with no pitch change. You can loop an overdub and randomly slice phrases up to what 9.4 seconds, right? And 4.7 seconds in stereo. It is also capable of running in stereo, by the way, the tensor is, always listening to your signal so you can instantly rewind what you just played and you could shift between forward and reverse it constantly analyzes what you play at three levels phrase note and waveform to choose the best splice points so you can focus on your playing I'm reading this from their website it's a little bit of a complicated pedal to explain so it was helpful to have their explanation It's one of those pedals that you get that really acts like an instrument you interact with it and you get these really surprising results depending on what information you're feeding it and whatever happens in that moment it also means it's the difficult style pedal to recreate exact uh, scenarios, right? It's largely dependent on the moment, which I think those of you who are into experimental and sound designing are going to love because we love like just having something happen in the moment that you don't know how you got there. It was the, the guitar, the synthesizer interacting with another piece of gear, interacting with the tensor, and all of a sudden you have this moment that only could have happened right at that time because of the essentially like the chemical reaction that was happening between that gear and I've tried a few other similar pedals to this in the past I've tried the count to five and a few others and I like the idea but I always was unsatisfied with the tone of the pedals the count to five which I heard a friend use on a gig I was obsessed with and Took me a while to be able to get one. I got one. And it just didn't do it for me. I was really surprised by that because I was so enamored with the sound when my friend was using it. And he just really figured out how to use that pedal. It sounded digital to me, particularly with the pitch shifting effects on it. Like it just it, it didn't sound warm enough for me, organic enough for me. And I was wondering if maybe this that style of pedal wasn't gonna be a good match for my taste and tone. But I must say that the the tensor is perfect with that. I think Red Panda has really thought a lot about the sound quality, even when you do the pitching up effects, like it doesn't sound overly bright and and brittle and thin. There's still a warmth to it. They have clearly kept an integrity of sound in mind when they designed these pedals. Not only do these cool reverse and pitch shifting and time-stretching effects, but the tone is also excellent on it. It also offers a randomization knob which basically changes the range from occasional CD skips, stutters, rhythmic repeats to random slicing and erratic pitch shifts. Depending on how high you have the knob is how often or how extreme it will randomize the material. A couple of things they did I really like about the pedal was first of all, it's a pretty small pedal for everything that is packed into it. The size is very desirable for pedal boards. Uh, I also like that when it comes to the foot switches on it. There's adjustments right above each foot switch to turn it from momentary to latched, meaning that you can set it to momentary if you have the loop function on, for instance, and you just want to grab like little tiny captures of what you're playing. And if you want to capture longer sections, you could set it to latch, and which is more the way that people are used to working with loopers, but very creative. And also all the adjustments on, I mentioned before, but you could do it in real time and it doesn't mess up the pedals. They also consider the fact that everything that operates on the pedal should be able to be manipulated in real time without it actually disrupting or making the sound unusable the input range is adjustable on the tensors if you wanted to use it as an aux send which i did get into and was using sometimes in the examples i'm going to show later or if you want to use it as a guitar and the signals are obviously different what are coming out of a mixing board versus a guitar versus a synthesizer so they've made so you can accommodate the input signal as opposed to needing a reamp box which is very nice there is also a web-based editor for editing presets and accessing hidden parameters. If you have a MIDI or remote foot switch, you can also get access to some other looping functions, such as re-trigger, stop, and one shot. There's also the option to save up to 31 presets via MIDI, which actually could be really helpful with a pedal like this where it would be really hard to reproduce things in live settings you could save it as a preset and your likelihood of being able to create what you experienced in the studio is much more likely in the studio which is really important if uh, it's become a, a staple in the production to which you're involved in the power supply is 9 volt dc 250 milliamps used to use a standard power supply I use the Strymon Zuma and I have the Ohai as well on my small gigging pedal board and the manual is available online to read you know, there are some things to learn about operating this pedal it's not as easy as say a traditional delay pedal because their functions and the ideas the concepts and the way it operates with either forward or Backwards or time compression, pitch shifting, all that stuff. It could take time to really master how it all operates or have a deep understanding of its functions, but that doesn't mean that you can't immediately start making cool music. For me, one of my favorite things is to plug in a new pedal and just start experimenting with it and see if cool things happen. And then if they do, I usually know I'm gonna bomb with the pedal. I don't like it if I can't start making some cool music with a pedal when I first get it. And even though I didn't read much of the manual when I got the tensor, it made sense in some degrees. Like I was a little surprised about maybe what was happening. and didn't really understand why it was happening, but it was really cool what was happening. And I just went with it. And I first tried some experiments using my ARP 2600M. And then of course I started bringing in other instruments and I'm going to play some examples and not really talk so much about the technicalities of how I had the pedal set up because I think it wouldn't matter because depending on what you're playing and what material you're feeding it and the sounds that you have it's not necessarily gonna get the same results so these are just a variety of examples using the tensor sometimes it's a wet dry mix sometimes it's full wet there are times when I've used a sampler a Roland SP 404 to actually sample some happy accidents that happened using the tensor and then I just started playing it like a a sample loop so there's a lot of different ways that I've used this pedal including on drum machines I'm just gonna talk about my creative thoughts I think behind how I was getting these sounds and where it ended up and what it meant to me which I think is more important with a pedal like this because it's not the sort of thing that you're gonna say like a drive pedal or that's a little more straightforward to understand or you can reproduce results between different amps even though that's not perfect either and again I'm not really like a big fan of presets in general because it depends so much on the player and just the whole signal chain, but sometimes it gives you a good starting point. The first example, I used a Hydra synthesizer running into the Red Panda Tensor pedal. I was experimenting with this and, and treating it more like a polytonality mindset. And I'm really into the work of Charles Ives and Bella Bartok and the idea of sometimes playing in two keys at one time be really fascinating. And I think just it, it creates a, an unusual emotion, right? And I think if we're thinking of scoring, it is something that emotes almost like a foreign or extraterrestrial kind of vibe. So I used, it's basically a CS80 synth kind of vibe. And then I ran into the tensor and it was just messing around with some of the knobs on, as you'll hear. And it created a, a pretty cool polytonal vibe. <laughs> I didn't sugarcoat that one. I got right into the weird right from the get go, but they're all not going to be weird examples. I have a mixture of both. This next example, I again was using the HydroSynth. I had it set to a sequence I was running that through the tensor pedal to create almost like a frantic tension cue. Now, I'm going to use a Profit 10 analog synthesizer for an arpeggiation, like a soft arpeggiation sound. I'm using the tensor to create somewhat of a reverse effect. I should also mention that I'm using Valhalla reverb plugins. Several of these examples, Valhalla makes some of my favorite delay and reverb plugins. I use a lot of analog gear in the tracking process, but in the mixing process, I sometimes will send things out to analog gear, but at that point, I'm often using a lot of Valhalla for reverb plugins they're very reasonably priced for what they are and they really hold their weight against many way more expensive reverb plugins and honestly I prefer them so they're really great go check them out valhalla.com now we're going to move on to the Dave Smith OB6 synthesizer I'm using some chromatic mediants in this it's a classic film score trick and you've heard Danny Elfman and many other people do this many times or I'm uh, moving from a minor chord, let's just say it's an E minor and then I'll go down chromatic third, so I might go down to F minor. And you could go in either direction. But that's what I'm doing in this example, film mask vibe, but the tensor is kicking it back and almost overlaying on top of each other where it gets very dissonant for a little bit until it cleans up. And I liked that sound and it just uh, took something that we've heard a bunch, which is the, the chromatic mediant trick. And it just added a little bit more tension and spice to it. I'm a huge fan of Bernard Herrmann and Twilight Zone and Jerry Goldsmith. This next example took me to the Mellotron and what I'm calling a broken cannon. So I used the vibraphone sound on the Mellotron and the Tensor and it was kicking back the sound almost like repeating it, but it almost like a cannon would work where if you think of how people do or your boat or something, the way it repeated it or came back in it almost gave you the illusion, it was almost like a, somewhat like a cannon, but it wasn't. And so it, it just felt different to me, which I liked, and it wasn't completely vintage. It's not something that you would have heard exactly in the late 1950s, early 60s of the era of the Twilight Zone. And so it's reminiscent of that, and it's also modern at the same time, which I liked. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the Mellotron. The Mellotron has a bunch of the Optigon sounds on it. Now, the Optigons were on a disc and they can actually do an infinite repeat on them. Unlike the Mellotron that was basically one of the, the first sampler, the Chamberlain, the Mellotron, the sounds were recorded on tape. And when the tape ran out, it would have to stop for a second so that it could rewind and play over again. The Optigons didn't have this. Marcus Rush at Mellotron has meticulously restored the Optigon sounds and loops as well. There were a lot of loops on the Optigon where they would have a rhythm or a backing track. That's what this next sound is but I also played it at slow speed on the Mellotron which kind of makes it sound vibey I think the sound was initially like a a country loop but when you slow it down and then I put the red panda tensor on it something cool was happening I was playing with the knobs in real time on the tensor just to create this I don't know exaggerate maybe the broken feel of it just sounds so wrong but right. It almost feels like a, a, you've traveled back in a time into a dream that you had. Right? It's unsettling but also nostalgic. I'm going to use an ARP 2600M now. I think it's set to almost like a bell-like sound and now it's running through the tensor and creating some pretty cool effects. A synthesizer to create a drone, which I also ran through a full tone Deja Vibe to get that Uni chorus like sound, which is a oh, chorus, a phaser, a vibrato, however you want to call it. It just, I love the way that it uh, incorrectly emulates the sound of a Leslie. There's just that you hear that hard spinning of the modulation. One of that as a drone for me to then experiment playing guitar using a tensor above it. So not only does the drone have the tensor with the deja vibe on it, it also is on the electric guitar part where I'm just phrasing some things and messing with the pedal and with my feet so it wasn't up on a stand where i was earlier where i was playing with it in real time with the sense or as outboard gear now it's in the chain as if i'm on a gig and experimenting with it real time <laughs> There's also some cool effects you can create using drum machines. Now using Machina, the standalone version, I ran the drum machine into an effect tube drive and into an analog ARDX20 analog delay. And then that ran into my API preamps via the Purple Audio MC77 compressor. And then once it was recorded into Luna, I reamped it out to the tensor and then continued to play with the parameters. Let's listen. I'm going to be even more aggressive with the settings on the tensor. It seemed like I teased you before with a little bit of guitar and then went to drums it. Now we're going to come back to guitar, we're going to focus on some examples with just guitar running into the tensor. This example starts off with a loop that I got going with the tensor and i let it roll a little bit before I started manipulating it because it just seemed like a cool like a higher ostinato that was happening there that could be used in a cool way. do some really cool spacey jams with it. I was using a Gibson ES-335. I was running that into my pedal board, which had the solo Dallas Storm on it. I was using that on all the time as a preamp. I also had the Universal Audio Delverb on, and I was going into the Strymon Iridium. I had my pedal board put together from a gig I did yesterday, which was a charity fundraiser with a bunch of Broadway singers. We played a bunch of Christmas songs. So, I took that same pedal board and just plugged in today and just put the at the end of it to experiment. I'm going to keep going down the dreamy guitar ambient path here. This next example I used the Roland SP-404 MK2 to sample some cool moments I thought that happened using the Tensor with my Gibson ES-335 that I mentioned and then I just played those two captures as if I was making a song. This is really cool. Sometimes I'll do this and just create a bunch of snapshots of different moments that happen, surprises that happen during a jam. And then I can now manipulate them and trigger them at will or almost treat them like tape loops, almost in the way that like the BBC radiophonic workshop worked with tape loops and stuff in the early 60s and through the 70s. I like a lot of that experimental electronic music and I think it's fun to get in that mindset and also consider the ways to create music using those techniques. guitar example I'm gonna lean into the pitch shifting capabilities of the tensor use the guitar reverb some delay with this running into the tensor it's just created this sound that I can almost imagine being used in more of an indie film where there's some self-reflective moments it just feels very inner thought process of dark and almost like inner voice kind of vibe. It's really cool how it came out basically I was switching between two different chords and it was very symbiotic. So what I was playing wasn't necessarily being reflected in what you were hearing. It was an interesting case of needing to have something like that in your signal chain right at the time in order to get the desired result. Because if you heard what I was actually playing, it, it, you'd be surprised. So I had to have the pedal in front of me and to play things, to hear how the tensor was going to spit it out. So then I could change it to find something that was working for the emotion I was trying to express. For the very last example, I used an ARP 2600 and set up like a hi-hat drum sound on it. And I ran that through the tensor, I think fully wet, and then started messing with it. At first it feels like it has this frantic clock running out vibe to it. And then as it goes on, it breaks up and gets more erratic and unsettling. you've enjoyed episode 27 of anatomy of tone you can go to my website anatomy to check out a lot of other reviews on pedals and discussions on gear music theory songs composition have a tab on there as well. This is Anatomy of Tone, which often is a recap of this week's podcast with links if you're so looking to find out more information about anything I've mentioned there. As well as, there's a tab if you want to find out more about lessons or the music I create. I have a website called Future Relics Music.com, which is home to a lot of my composed eclectic music. I also start a YouTube channel called Anatomy of Tone, which I will be uploading tutorial videos. More and more over time, I don't have too many up there now, but I have a few good tips about making sure that you're staying creative and beating writer's block, as well as talking about some pedals. We'll be regularly releasing a variety of Tutorial videos on there, including a lot of topics such as music theory, composition, and getting sounds and engineering. So, if you want to subscribe to me on YouTube, do that because I will be updating that regularly. And if you have any questions or any comments about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me on my website. I'm more than glad to talk about music. And until next week, have a great one.